Praise God. How incredible is it that God has never failed us? And that's not a question as will he, because he's never failed us. That's what's so incredible. And he has been so faithful. Um, good morning to you guys that are here. It is really neat that each week we're seeing more people here. We're still probably about 50% online, and that's totally okay. So we want to welcome those of you guys that are watching on YouTube live. Um, let me open us up in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And we want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And we know it's not a question of will you fail us at some point. No, you're never going to fail us. Uh, the question is really, uh, when are we going to fail you next, Lord Jesus? So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to imitate you, as Scripture says, that we would not fail you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide my thoughts, my words, um, as we bring your word today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to me and through me as um, we take a look at the grander plan, as we take a look at your will, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So it's interesting that when God kind of dropped this sermon on me, I didn't know it would come at the tail end of spending the last, you know, I would say about two months talking about the vision for the church. And we've talked about that we want to transform the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. And we talked about what love is. We've talked about that it's sometimes scripture tells us like a parent's love it is that warm embrace, and at other times, it's getting grounded. That's God's love, and that's what's so amazing about God's love. It's not one or the other. It's all of that. And then we talked about three L's. We talked about the importance about learning about Christ and then living for him. And last week, leading others to him because heaven and hell are real. And I keep hearing stories, and this is so awesome, that people are sharing the gospel with their loved ones, and people are coming to Christ. It's so cool to hear that, especially it sounds like the pattern recently has been people sharing the gospel with their parents and people's parents coming to know Jesus. And that's so incredible that we are going to get to see our loved ones in heaven someday if we are willing to share the gospel message. And so today, as we end up, I want to talk about God's will. And we've done this before, but I think for all of us, there are times where we wonder, you know, what the heck is God up to? What is he doing? Or what is the purpose and plan for my life? Or why today am I using the handheld? You know, why is that? What is God's will? And that's because the wireless is broken. So I'm kind of excited because I, I like using uh, the handheld. I think it's kind of cool. But we ask those questions. What's God's will? What's God's will? What is he doing? Why does this happen? Why isn't this happening? You know, and as Christians, it can really throw us in a lot of loops mentally. And even our heartstrings can get pulled in all sorts of directions because we want to know what God is doing. I'm sure there's people in Ukraine right now that are wondering, where is God? What is he doing? There's people here wondering, why is this happening? I know, you know, there's been so many battles, sadly, especially with Christians through politics, with things, with the coronavirus, and we have to wonder, why? Why are these things happening? What is God's plan and purpose in all of this? So I want to talk about God's will, because when we don't understand God's will, we really start to question God. And unfortunately, there are people out there that in questioning God, they start to questioning or they start to question their faith. And that's a problem. And so it's important that we understand what it is that we're talking about when we talk about God's will. And so I have a generic definition here for you. And it is 
everything that God desires or wishes to happen in heaven and on earth. So great generic definition. It's absolutely everything that God wants. But when you look deeper, when you study, and I think we've talked about studying the Bible, so now we're studying God, which is called theology. When we study God, which is not just reading about it, it's thinking about it. It's processing what we read. We see that God's will, it reveals different aspects of who he is. There's different aspects and different dimensions to God's will. For example, God's plan for humanity as a whole. His commands and expectations for his creations. God's guidelines for us as Christians and how we should live. That is also part of God's will. We also need to talk about the incredible gift of free will. That God gives us a choice. And I think the one that resonates with most people is, what is God's plan for our lives as individuals? Theologians break down God's will into different categories. Some say there's three, some four, some one. You know, that there's different categories or aspects to God's will, and this can become incredibly confusing. And they use really crazy language as well. You know, like prescriptive will and permissive will. I'll use a couple of those actually today. But there's all these different ones, and it gets so confusing. Even different denominations will describe God's will with different terms. And so you're like, wow, I just want to know what's going on. And so today I want to talk about God's will in a few, in fewer categories and hopefully in a little more basic language so you better understand it. Because the truth is, I believe truly with all my heart that God's will comes with different aspects or characteristics. It's not one generic this is God's plan and that's it. I don't believe that at all. And I think scripture will show us today that there are different aspects to God's will. And so the first aspect or category I want to talk about is God's sovereign will. And God's sovereignty means that ultimately God is in control of everything. That he is all powerful. He's all knowing. He can do whatever the heck he wants, regardless of what we want. He can do anything that he wants. And I define God's sovereign will as God's ultimate plan for humanity, which no one can thwart. It will or it, it, it has already happened. That's God's sovereign will. So we're talking about creation. That was his plan, his purpose. We can't stop it. It could never have been stopped. It's what he wanted to do. Salvation. Praise Jesus. We could not stop that. Even if we tried, and people tried to, but they couldn't, praise God for that. So for those who truly believe in Jesus with all their hearts and minds, right, that is something that was God's will, that they can experience salvation and eternity in heaven. So that means Jesus' birth, which we'll be celebrating, or no, that, wait, that was Christmas, so Jesus' resurrection, which we'll be celebrating in two weeks. So his birth, his resurrection, his, his crucifixion and resurrection, um, those are things that we couldn't stop. God wanted those things to happen. And even though Jesus, his son, went through so much pain and suffering, it was his plan and purpose because he loves us. And then ultimately, Jesus' second coming, which I hope you're all really looking forward to, that Jesus is coming back for us. And that is so exciting. We can't stop that. 
We know the Antichrist will try to do that, but we know that he loses. God's already won. Those are things we can't get in the way of. So that is God's sovereign will. It is his ultimate plan and purpose for humanity that we can't do anything about. It is already set in stone. It is what has happened and what is going to happen. So God's sovereign will. The second category is God's will for all believers. So this is different. This is how God wants you and me, if we truly believe in Jesus with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul, if we've truly given our lives to Jesus, there is a certain way that he wants us to live. This is his will. And this is revealed through the Bible. It's not revealed anywhere else. God's will for believers and how we are to live is revealed through his word. Things like the top two greatest commandments. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. See, that's God's will. It's God's will that we love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. That is his will for us. And then here is the second greatest commandment. Verse 39 says, And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So everything the Bible tells us, ultimately, it's about love. It's about loving God and loving our neighbors. But it's also important, and I love always reminding people, God's love is not just a hug. Sometimes it's a little smack on the butt. That's really important because I was just talking to someone earlier today. We always want to talk about the warm embrace, but we forget that there are also consequences to our behavior. Imagine what we would be like if our parents never grounded us, if our parents never gave us some kind of punishment for the bad things that we do. We have to remember that that is Jesus' love in its entirety, God's love in its entirety. So that's one of the things or one of the ways that God's will affects us as Christians, the way we live. Last week, we talked about the Great Commission, that we are to make disciples of all people and all nations. We need to share the gospel with everyone. That is another will that God has for us. That is his will that we are obedient to that. Also, living according to the Holy Spirit and not the flesh. God's will for us is that the Holy Spirit leads us, not that our own fleshly desires lead us. Several weeks ago, I preached about what I believe is the worst sin or the biggest slippery slope to sin, and that is leaning on your own understanding. It's leaning on your money, your power, your influence, or the influence, money, and power of others, or your own emotions to make your decisions. It doesn't mean that we don't have emotions. It doesn't mean that we don't use the resources that we have. But the question is, is that the first thing you go to, or is that the second thing you go to? We need to go to God first. Otherwise, it's a sin. And then godly living as a whole, that is God's will for us, that we live godly lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. 
Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, Scripture is really clear. It's God's will that we rejoice always, that we pray continually, and then we give thanks in all circumstances. Not sometimes, in all circumstances, even the struggles and the challenges we face. This is God's will for us. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 6. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Isn't that cool? If you've ever wondered, how do I please God? How do I do what God wants me to do? Things that would make him happy, so to speak. We'll live in a certain way. Uh, As we continue, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of another brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. Again, it's God's will that we live obedient lives. It's very clear there. So there is God's sovereign will, again, his plan and purpose for the entirety of his creation, for all of humanity. But then there's also God's will for his people, the way he wants us to live. And again, we find this in the Bible. And the third and final category or aspect of God's will is God's permissive will. And the reason I'm using that theological term is that I would say it fits. It's what he is permitting. And this is where that incredible gift of free will comes in. Because God allows his people, his creation, the choice to reject him. Or we can be obedient. If you choose, you don't have to do what God tells us in the Bible. In fact, you don't even have to choose Jesus at all. It is our choice. Which is pretty incredible because last week I had mentioned to you that it is God's will that all people are saved. He wants us all to live in eternity with him in heaven. But God also gives us the incredible gift to make that decision. You don't have to choose heaven if you don't want to. There's another place you can choose. How incredible that God doesn't treat us like robots. And hopefully we're smart enough, and that's what's so incredible, is that hearing that you guys are leading your loved ones to Christ, that's incredible because it means you're making that choice. You're saying, hey, and I also want to be sure that my loved ones make the right choice as well. And that free will, that's the reason that sin exists in this world. That is why the world is fallen, that it is the way it is, because of sin and people's sin nature. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, that's being referred to, and death through sin, and this way death came to all people, because all sinned. So because of Adam and Eve, that's why sin is in the world. 
That's why sin has its effect on us. Because God gave them the choice. They just made the wrong one. But he gave them the free will to choose. But here, this is so important to understand that despite allowing people the free will to be disobedient, to not choose him, God hates sin. And this is so, also so important to understand it because, or understand this because we don't want to think that God approves of sin. He doesn't. He hates sin. He just allows us the free will to be, to be disobedient to sin. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. If you've ever wondered if the Lord hates anything, yes, he does. Throughout the Bible, it talks about things that the Lord hates. Here's six of the things that Lord, the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. Those are six things and seven that are detestable to God, things that he hates. So never think because God allows sin in the world, because he allows us to be disobedient, that he approves of it. He absolutely does not approve of it. That's why we have to understand God's will, because sometimes people will sit back and be like, well, if God didn't stop it, he must be okay with it. No, 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 no. He hates it. He hates sin. But the thing is, he's allowing it because he's allowed us to have the free will to be disobedient. Here's another thing to remember about free will. Is that because of that free will gift he's given us, he allows sin to happen. He lets it happen. Or he does not directly intervene to stop it. That doesn't mean that he can't or never intervenes regarding sin, because there are times that he does. But these are certain situations for reasons God only knows that he does that. Maybe it's because we know, you know, Randy preached this back in December, that if we pray for God to help us when a temptation hits us, Scripture tells us God will provide a way out. The question is, are you going to take that way out? Or are you just going to sit there in your sin? You, again, have the free will to choose. But there are times God will protect us from ourselves. But I will be honest with you, probably more times than not, he does not do that. Because he expects us to have a little self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Self-control, the Holy Spirit helps us to have that self-control. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seeds for the sower and the bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's up to God. That's why he can intervene if he chooses to. 
but it's how he wants to do it and if he wants to do it because his ways are not our ways. He does things differently. Scripture tells us that things he does seems foolish to us. They don't make sense. He uses the weak, not the strong. God does things completely different than we do. So hopefully you get a better understanding of God's will, but here's the question. How do we better recognize or discern God's will? Because that's really important. Things can happen in this world, but are we going to sit there and judge it and get angry at God? Or could we say, maybe, perhaps, this was God's will? Maybe it's part of his will for my life. Maybe it's part of the overall plan of salvation for the world. So how do we better discern or recognize God's will? Well, one, don't live the way the world does. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Renew your mind daily through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to better know God's will and if you should do this or if this is his plan, don't be like the world. Pretty simple. Well, actually, it's not. But it's pretty clear. Let's put it that way. Proactively and intentionally study what the Bible says about God's will. Don't just assume. Do you know how many people I hear that use God's will so frivolously? And they have no clue why they don't read the Bible. But it's not just reading the Bible. Study it. We have to study it. We can't just read it. Because when we read it, sometimes it might just go in one ear and out the other. We need to contemplate it. We need to ask others about it. We need to dig into God's word. Ephesians 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We don't want to be foolish. We have to study. Consider how God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has gifted and equipped you. Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing what? His will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Take a look at how the Holy Spirit has empowered you and gifted you for God's kingdom. Because chances are, if you're wondering about God's will, probably part of the way he's wired you has something to do with that. And if you don't know what your spiritual gifting is, there's a lot of spiritual gifting tests out there. Yes, they are human tests, but I would say that the people that put them together really sought the leading of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit to develop them. And when you take them, you'll see, is my gifting faith? Is my gifting a prophetic gift? You'll see that, and that will better help you understand God's plans and purposes, His will. Desire and prioritize living a life according to God's will. John 7, verses 14 through 18. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. This is the key here, verse 17. 
Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does not, or, or own, does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about them, or about him, excuse me. If you want to know more about God's will, then live according to God's will. Seek God's will in your life. That is the best way to test and discern if something is God's will. Again, do not lean on your own understanding. Lean on God. And then pray for God to reveal more of his will to you. There's nothing wrong with that. He may not, but you have to ask him. Say, God, is this your will or is this more my will? Lean on the wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit provides. Colossians 1.9 For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his what? His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives you. That's why the Holy Spirit's so important, because the Holy Spirit can help us understand the will of God. So ask him to reveal more of that to you. So now let's talk about how to seek God's will for your life. Now listen to how I said that. How to seek God's will for your life. I did not say what is God's will for your life. Because I think a lot of us, we think, what is God's will for my life? No, 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 no. Seek God's will. Be proactive. I think JFK said something along the lines of, don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So it's the same thing. Don't ask God, what can you do for me? What's the plan and purpose you have for my life? No, no, no. Say, God, what can I do for you? What can I do to fulfill your will? And in doing that, I will better understand what your will is for my life. So how do we seek God's will for our life? One, surrender your personal desires for God's desires. Next week, I'm going to talk about this because this is probably the greatest example of someone surrendering or sacrificing their own desires for the desire of God. Luke 22, verse 42. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus didn't want to die. That's not what he was like totally excited about. He was praying continuously. He was sweating blood. But in the end, he said, Father God, your will, not mine, be done. So first, surrender your personal desires for God's desires. And remember this, sometimes things look good or they look great, but they're not God. I know a lot of people that cover things up and think it's Christian, but it's not. It may look like Christian according to the world, but it's not Christian according to God. Check yourself on that, guys. Surrender your personal desires for God's desires. Study God's word. We mentioned this earlier, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourselves approved by God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't spit scripture at me. If you don't study scripture yourself, because there's a lot of people out there that are just dangerous enough because they know this much scripture. 
Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Study God's word in its full entirety. Spend focused time in prayer. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you see the pattern? They're praising God. Then the next thing they're saying is, not our will, but your will be done. Not just in heaven, but here on earth. And then they're talking about holy, righteous living. Help us not to fall into temptation. Help us to forgive others. Don't you love that? Again, you want to know how to seek God's will in your life? Seek him first. Live godly lives. And the final thing, actually, no, there's two more things, a couple things. Develop an attitude and lifestyle where you genuinely submit your plans to God and are truly open to what he wants. Let me say that again. Develop an attitude and lifestyle where you genuinely submit your plans to God and are truly open to what he wants. James 4, verses 13 through 15. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city, or to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, here's the thing, because people misconstrue that. There is nothing wrong with planning to be proactive. The key is not to forget God. This commentary had these little things uh, like these different areas where people live out, leave out God. Listen to this. When we describe retirement in selfish terms as our time to enjoy the fruits of our labor, when we seek to work in careers as ways we can make money in order to buy what we want, when we define money as a symbol of independence, when we imagine ourselves in control of major areas of our life under the rationalization that God is not interested in such mundane matters, when we make practical decisions about education, job changes, moving, investments, and spending, all without prayer. You see, there's nothing wrong with planning. But we have to be careful that we don't take God out of those plans. It's just like leaning on your own understanding, right? We use the gifts, we use our resources, yes. But we must seek God first. And then seek the wise counsel of Christian people. Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. These are godly counselors, though. These are godly friends. It's not all that helpful to ask godly questions to people that don't know God. I can't ask someone about beekeeping if they're not a beekeeper. You can't ask people 
biblical or Christian questions and Christian perspectives if they're not a Christian. That's a reality. Look at the closest people in your circle of friends. Are they sold out believers or are they something else? If they're something else, hmm, probably going to be a little dangerous to ask them for really deep spiritual questions. Who are the people closest to you? Let the Holy Spirit guide you. John 16, verses 13 through 15. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit, again, can help you to better understand and discern God's will. Now, here, are the, here is the final one. There's a lot coming at you, but here's the final one. Confess and repent of your sins. I'll tell you what, it's really hard to discern God's will. It's really hard, if not impossible, to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit if you're living in sin. Whenever you sin, it's really hard to hear God. If you're online looking at something you shouldn't, do you think it's really hear, easy to hear God's voice in the back of your head? He might be like, don't do it. But if you're deep in it, it's really hard. And that's just one situation. There is all kinds of other situations where we could be tempted and we can be sinning, and it's really hard to hear the voice of God. 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So we need to confess our sins. It's acknowledging what we've done wrong. Revelations 2.5, or Revelation, there's only one Revelation. Revelation 2.5. Consider how far you have fallen. This is to one of the five of one of the five churches of the seven that has uh, fallen away. Consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In context, and we talked about this about a month ago, God shut down the church because people didn't repent. They didn't change. Their sinful ways. Sometimes God will shut down a church if he wants to, because it's his purposes that matter, not ours. I want to read my conclusion here because I don't want to miss it. I was thinking about how do I want to tie this together. So this is what I wrote. I said, the reason why I felt led to preach this sermon is we often make decisions, and if something happens, we say it must have been God's will. Or if it doesn't, I guess that was not God's will. We need to be careful because we may, we may be biblically incorrect in what we're saying. For example, if someone does not accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can't say that was not God's will, or we can't say that was God's will because we know Scripture tells us it's God's will that everybody is saved. So we can't just say because someone doesn't do something or does something that was God's will. That is biblically and theologically inaccurate. This is, this is also important, or it is also important to pay attention to because we may mistakenly give the impression that God does not mind sin 
or that he's not in control. Just because things happen that we don't like doesn't mean God's not in control. He allows things to happen for a variety of different reasons, and one of them is our own disobedience. Not paying attention to all aspects of God, God's will, also takes um, away our responsibility to be obedient to God. This is where sin or being led to sin comes in. People can force things to happen due to their selfish desires, and it has nothing to do with God's will. You can force things open if you want, and it may be a door God doesn't want open, but if you push hard enough, maybe you ask a few friends to help you, you can bust that door open. But don't just assume that's God, because you took actions into your own hands. I encourage you to take a good look at your lives and ask, are you truly seeking God's will in all things? And if you're not, really ponder, think about that. Why? What am I struggling with? Is it trust? Is it because I don't care? Is it because you are caught in some kind of sin and you just don't want to change? It's really important, church, to understand God's will and that there's different aspects. Don't clump it all together because it's not all the same. It is God's will, but there's different aspects to it. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to understand your will. Lord, help us, Holy Spirit, to seek out and to live for your will, not our own. Help our desires to be your desires. Help us to be the people you have created us to be, which we learn through your word. Lord, help us to always put you first in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we love you. We serve you. We pray this in your name. Amen.